Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's been good being in the house of the Lord already this morning, hasn't it? I have to have a little help getting up those steps. I was in a bad wreck five years ago and broke my back up. And uh, my wife and I have been trying to get a deck redone and can't find anybody that wants to do a small job, so we decided we'd take it on and it nearly killed me. And so I'm kind of stiff and stove up, but I tell people I hurt all the time except when I preach. And I'm thankful for that, so I have a good time when I preach and look forward to preaching. I heard about an old boy. He's an old man carrying his family down to the county fair in his pickup truck. And there was a frog hopping across the road, so he got out and he picked the frog up and set him over on the side of the road. He's going back to his truck, and the frog said, Sir! He turned around and said, Did you speak to me? He said, Sure did. That's one of the nicest things anybody's ever done for me. He said, I got special powers. I'm going to reward you with any one wish you want. Anything you want, you can have it right now. That old farmer said, You're kidding me. He said, No, sir. He said, well, I'm a simple man. He said, uh, got my old dog Blue there in the truck. They having a dog race down there to the fair. I sure wish old Blue could win one more race. Frog said, let me see him. He drug him out of the truck. He didn't have but one eye, three legs. One ear was chewed off. He's beat up, scarred up, skin up. Frog said, sir, I'm good, but I'm just not sure I'm that good. Isn't there something else you want? Well, yeah. They're having a beauty contest down there to the fair. Sure wish my wife could win that beauty contest. Well, let me see her. He got her out of the truck. The frog looked at her for a minute and said, uh, let me see that dog again. <laughs> Things can always be worse. I hear it uh, a lot of kinds of preaching. I'm out in different churches and preach a lot of places, and I don't hear much strong biblical doctrinal preaching anymore. For instance, you don't hardly ever hear a, a real sermon on hell anymore. You don't hear any real biblical deep preaching on the second coming. You hear a lot of fluff from radio and TV preachers that want to preach about the subject, but they don't want to deal with it. And then there's the doctrine I'm preaching about today that some of you in this room probably never heard a sermon preached on, the doctrine of judgment and reward. We as Southern Baptists have kind of kept that one swept up under the rug for a long time, but it's a doctrine that needs to be brought out and shouted on the rooftops. Because you see, it's very plainly taught in the Bible, as we'll see this morning, that we're going to be held accountable for our lives. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, I want you to listen to it very carefully. It says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. Now notice this. But let every man, now that word every man, it means every person. That's every gender, that's every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. 
Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Notice again. Every man's work, every man's work, shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man, every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. Now, the doctrine of judgment and reward is very much misunderstood by many Christians. The word judgment itself is very much misunderstood by the family of faith today. There, there seems to be little or no emphasis placed upon the personal responsibility of you and me being accountable for what our lives are doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. The big confusing point is that so many people, church people, many people have been in church many, uh, most of their lives, are confused about future judgment. They isolate judgment or compartmentalize it into the great white throne judgment, which is a great biblical teaching. It is a true doctrinal part of what we believe. The great white throne judgment is the judgment where all unbelievers are going to stand before God one day. He's going to condemn them and cast them into eternal hell. But just as realistically as that is a biblical teaching and a biblical doctrine, it's just as real there's going to be a judgment for all believers. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. If you're lost, you'll appear at the great white throne judgment. If you're saved, you're going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, at that judgment, every believer, just as the Bible said here, every man's work, every believer's work, your life is going to be judged. And this is called the judgment seat of Christ. We know it's true because Paul said in Romans 14.10, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Then in Revelation 22 and verse 12, Jesus himself said, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man, there's that term again, to every man according to what he has done. So please hear me this morning, church. You not as a whole, but you as an individual are one day, if you're a child of God, going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to hold you accountable for what you did in your life from the day you got saved until you stand before him in this judgment. He's keeping a record. If you appear at this judgment, you're saved. You don't have to worry about being lost. You're saved if you appear here but you're going to be judged on what you did for Jesus from the time you got saved until you meet him there. Now, this judgment is not about what is ethically good or bad. This judgment about, is about that which is acceptable, gold, silver, and precious stones, and that which is worthless, wood, hay, and stubble. It will be tried by fire. It's not the Lord's purpose at this judgment to chasten his child for his sins or her sins but rather to reward him or her for the service that they've done in faithful living for the Lord Jesus Christ and in and under his name since being saved. This judgment's not a judgment of condemnation, but rather this judgment is a judgment of evaluation. 
This is a judgment not over whose you are, it's over who you are and what you did. It's not right over wrong or good over bad. It's not life over death or even heaven over hell. It is a question of stewardship. What did you do for Jesus from the time you got saved until you stand before him in judgment? Now, all of this that I'm giving you now is a foundation. This is the first point of my message. B.F. Carroll, the great old Bible scholar B.H. Carroll said that he likened this to two great sailing vessels. He lived back in the days when they had the great sailing vessels that had masks and sails. And he said, it's as though you're standing at harbor's edge and looking out to sea, and you see two ships approaching. The first one, every mast has been broken down. All of her sails are ripped apart. She's had to throw all her cargo overboard just to stay afloat, and a harbor tug has to meet her and pull her to shore. The second vessel, though, her masts are standing to the sky. Her sails are filled to capacity. Her boat load is loaded down to the water's edge with a heavy cargo, and she arrives to the adulation and joy and, and celebration of all those that have already made it to shore. And he says that's the difference in dying Christians. Some have no reward. Others will have great reward. When they believed in Christ, they were justified. That never has to be done again. But a Christian's faithfulness will be judged by what he does for Christ. So if you're a Christian this morning, listen to me. If you blood-bought, blood-washed, and born again, you will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Now that's a brief foundation of that doctrine. I could preach on it probably for several weeks, but just to give you an overview, that's what it's all about. You're going to answer to Jesus for your life, and you need to understand that. Now secondly, I'm going to take my coat off and I'm not doing it because I'm hot. I'm, I want it to kind of be kind of like a, a prop or something. I want to become, if you'll allow me for a few minutes, I want to become somebody other than me. I want to step into a character by the name of Bill, and I want to give you, in my opinion, if you'll give me a little license, a for instance of what I think the judgment seat of Christ is going to be kind of like. And it goes something like this. Good morning. My name is... Bill Jones. I'm married. I have two kids, a dog, and I live in the city. I, I'm trying to live the American dream. I, I've got a good job. I work hard, but the economy's been tough through the years, and I seem to get further and further behind. Every month, I, I'm in debt up to my ears, and every month I find it harder and harder to pay my bills. My family and I are members of the Hilltop Baptist Church, and we attend there faithfully. In fact, through the years, I've held several leadership roles in the church. Well, perhaps I need to recant on that statement and be honest with you. I, I, you see, I used to be faithful. At one time, I was there every time the doors were open, but I told you things have been kind of difficult on me financially, and not too many months ago, my boss came to me one day, and he said to me, he said, Bill... We've got this new account out there, and it's going to be a big boost to our company. And I'm going to assign it to you. If you can land this account, I'm going to give you a big job and a big promotion and a big increase in salary. I couldn't turn that down, so I took the challenge, and I, I really have launched myself into that. I've been coming in early every morning. I go home late. I, I even work on weekends. I, I just I work all the time. It's really putting stress on my wife, my boys, but... You know, 
I got to do it. And, and was, you know, I can't remember the last time I, I went to church. I can't remember the last time I even took time for a prayer time or a quiet time. And, and, and the truth is, I, I feel guilty about it. But you see, I've chosen to make a living over making a life. And besides, it's all going to be worth it when I land that big account and I get that big promotion, that big raise. You just wait and see. You wait and see. Wait and see. I guess I'll never know because you see it happened today. I got up this morning like I do every morning. I had looked yesterday before I left the office. I noticed I had several meetings this morning, so I came in early so I could look over some material and get ready for those meetings. And I was in a meeting at 10.30, and my stomach began to growl like an angry lion. I realized I'd been in such a rush to get to work this morning, I'd forgotten to eat breakfast. I was starving to death. All I could do is wait, and all I just get through that meeting so i get in my car and run and get a burger. And finally, the meeting ended, and that's exactly what I did. I jumped in the car. I was going straight to the burger joint, and that's when it happened. Why, why it was a sound like no sound I'd ever heard. It was like a thousand trumpets blowing all at the same time. And then I heard a shout, a shout like I'd never heard before. And all of a sudden, I looked, and I was being caught up in the air with a bunch of other folks. Don't ask me how I got through the roof of that car. I don't have a clue. I, I'm a Christian. I know enough Bible. I know what happened. Jesus had come back. The church was being called up in there, and we, we believers were being called to be with Jesus. And I, I was kind of excited about it. I knew where I was going, but I had no clue what was going to happen when I got there. So if you'd just give me a few minutes this morning, could I just kind of, in my own words, tell you about what happened? We, we got up there, and it was a gathering. It was a massive gathering of people. The only way I could explain to you the size of this crowd is I think about all the football stadiums on a fall day and all the universities in, in America having their football games and those stadiums be packed out capacity. And, uh, and somehow somebody brought all those stadiums and all those people together at one time in one place. I, I kind of imagine that's the size of crowd we're looking at. But it was so unusual because we all had a common language. We knew one another, and we were all kind of puzzled. We knew why we were there. We just, again, didn't know what was going to happen, and we were asking and talking and, and, and discussing, and all of a sudden, it fell quiet. And I looked, and somebody had walked out into a courtroom-type setting, sitting down in the middle of that big crowd down there, and there was a man sitting on a throne. I don't have to tell you who that was, do I? It was Jesus. There he was, and our focus fell on that place. And there was a quiet fell over that crowd. And as I said, we could hear very plainly. Jesus said to all of us, he said, Welcome, my bride. Soon we'll be married and spend eternity together. But first, we must take care of some uncomfortable but necessary business. And then Jesus reached forward and opened a book, a giant book. And when he opened that book, this majestic being appeared. I, I've never seen anything like him. He must have been nine feet tall. He had a head like eagles and talons, and he took to the air, and he soared like an eagle. And then Jesus would lean and look in that book, and he'd call a name. That majestic being would swoop down over that crowd and pick that individual up and deposit him down there in front of Jesus at that throne. Why, he got, he called the name of Billy Graham. Majestic being swept down, he picked Billy up. We all knew Billy. I'd never seen him personally, but I've seen him on TV thousands of times. I knew who he was. It was him, and he deposited him in front of Jesus standing there. And Jesus said, Billy, Billy, we're so glad you're here. Billy, you were one of my great soldiers. So many men, women, boys, and girls came to Christ under your preaching. Billy, thank you. 
Thank you for pointing men, women, boys, and girls to me, Billy. Billy, watch this. And Jesus stood and he pointed out over that crowd and said, all you people out there who were touched by this man's life, stand up and cheer. Why, well, it looked like three-fourths of those people began to cheer. Billy, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Billy. And God, Jesus said to Billy, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then Jesus turned the page and he called the name of Lottie Moon, the majestic being, picked this little bitty woman up out of the crowd and deposited her down there. And Jesus said, welcome, Lottie. Lottie, I've been looking for you. You were one of the true missionaries. You, you gave all those years to me there in China, winning men and women, boys and girls to Christ. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Lottie, you may not know this, but over $1.5 billion has been raised in your name all of it going to pay the expenses of missionaries all over the world to win men and boys and, and ladies and girls to me. Lottie, how faithful you've been. All you people out there who were touched by Lottie's life stand up and cheer. And again, thousands upon thousands upon thousands stood up and began to cheer. He went on and on and on. And finally I heard him call the name of Maud Clements. I knew Maud. I didn't know much about Maud, but I did know her. She was a janitor at the place where I worked. I didn't know what she did other than work. And, and, and I did know one thing about Miss Maud, though. Every time I ever passed Miss Maud in the hall, she'd say, Mr. Bill, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for you. Just know wherever you go, I'm praying for you today. And I heard Jesus say, as he was reading off all those things about her, I, I didn't think that was so important. She said she prayed for me. But as he continued reading, and all of a sudden he said, and mauled for all those prayers you paid for old Bill Jones. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, Jesus just kept calling folks. By now I was getting pretty nervous because I'd come to realize I didn't have much to offer when he called my name. Oh, how I wish I had. I, I, I wish I'd been more interested in, committed in Christian things than I had in worldly things. I could already tell that certain things I ignored, simple things, counted a great deal at this judgment. Oh, how I wish I'd read my Bible more. I, I was standing there thinking, I wish I'd prayed more. I wish I'd cared for people more. I wish I'd done with less physically and applied myself more spiritually. I realized that all those years I was a professing Christian, I never led a single person to faith in Christ. It was almost as though I was ashamed of my faith. I see now that it was a reality. Oh, how I wish I'd been more faithful to church. I wish I'd not cheated God with his tithe in order for me and my family to have what we have. I wish. And then it happened. That majestic being had me. And he deposited me down there in front of Christ. There I stood. I stood in front of Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. I felt so empty. I felt so ashamed. I had so little to offer. There I was with nothing to show for my life for Jesus. Nothing. It was so painful to hear Jesus say, Joe... I've looked, and I've looked here in this book, and it's, there's nothing here, Joe, other than the fact you got saved. Joe, why didn't you serve me more? 
And then there was this intense fire as I watched the, 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 the works of my worthless life go up in flames. And there I stood. This other being, she was kind of like an angel. She walked over to that altar where that fire had been and she took her wing and she brushed something off and she came over and she deposited it in my hand. And I looked and I realized that I had stood there all day. I had watched so many come before Christ and turn and walk away princes with golden crowns. And here I am, I turn and walk away a pauper with a few gold coins. Let me bring us back to reality now and preach my sermon. I gave you a foundation of this doctrine. You're going to stand before Christ. If you're a believer, you're going to stand before him at the judgment seat. And you're going to answer to him for what you've done for him in your life. The good news is we still have time. I want to finish well, don't you? I want to have something to offer Jesus when I stand before him. We still have time to do that. You can finish well. I want to finish well. You need to think today with me about this. I'm talking about the judgment seat of Christ here. Now picture this. This is the king of kings, the judge of all judges. This is the tribunal of all tribunals. There's no repeal. There's no appeal. This is the final judgment, the final verdict. There are no lawyers, no legal teams to advise you. You're all alone standing in front of Jesus to answer for your life. Leonard Ravenhill said, it would do all of us good at night when we lay our, pillow, our head on our pillows to ask God, God, what did you write in your book about me today? Now, that's a, that's a mandate to think about. God, what did you write in your book about me today? What did I do today that accomplished something for the Lord Jesus? You see, we're not going to be judged just because of what we've done. We're going to be judged for why we did it. Jesus either rules your life or you rule your life. You either let Jesus be Lord or you're the Lord of your life. R.A. Torrey said, my God, look at all the riches that were available in Jesus Christ and I came to the judgment seat of almost a pauper. You'd say to me, Brother Sid, why in the world would you preach a sermon on judgment and reward? It's good enough for me to know that I'm just saved. I'm going to get there. I had an old boy tell me one day, he said, Preacher, I'd be satisfied to know that I got into heaven just by the skin of my teeth. Can I tell you that's a mockery against the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen to me, folks. Jesus paid your sin payment, died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and rose on the third day to win victory over the grave, death, and hell so that you could have everlasting life, and he gave it to you so you could serve him. It's a sad day we live in today. We live in a culture and an age when church people and I think most church people are, are just, they, they have this misunderstanding of what grace is all about. I, I believe many Christians today believe that, that since they're living under grace, it doesn't matter how they live. Hear me. God saved you to serve him. Paul, 
was the greatest soul winner, church planner that ever lived on this earth. And I believe I can tell you what the driving force behind his anxious work was. I believe he believed Jesus was coming back tomorrow and he wanted to have something to offer. Don't you think that if we really believe Jesus is coming back, we'd be different? Don't you believe today that if God gave us a clear message that three weeks from today, Jesus is coming back, it wouldn't transform this church? We've got to believe he's coming. Hey, I don't know about you, but when I read in Matthew what Jesus says is going to happen before he comes, it's reading like front page news now. Folks, I'm telling you, it's ready. He's coming, and we better be ready. Paul said, listen to this. Therefore knowing, the fear, uh, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul was afraid to face Jesus without something to offer. The doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ reminds us that we're to be living a life that counts for God. You see, our lives ought not just be aimless. They ought to be aimed. Our lives ought not be purposeless, they ought to be purpose-driven. Our lives shouldn't be passive, they ought to be productive. Our lives should not be fruitless, they should be fruitful. We ought not be satisfied just living in Christ, folks. We need to get a burden and be committed to living for Christ. I read a statement the other day, it said the church needs to stop being an audience and become an army. I want to read that again. The church needs to become, stop being an audience and become an army. We can make a difference, folks, if we'll go to work for Christ. We ought to be afraid of one day standing before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ with little or nothing to offer. God taught that lesson to me in a hard way a few years ago. My wife of 37 years died Graduated up to heaven. August the 10th will be seven years ago. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. I was supposed to go first. My whole life was designed around me going first. My retirement, my life insurance, everything was to take care of her and my children. But she died. And I got mad at God. I'll just be transparent about it. I got mad at God. I couldn't understand why God would take my wife. I, I tried not to let it affect me, but I found out very quickly that it did. You see, I continued doing what I do. I, I was preaching, but I was preaching from my head, not my heart. I, I was pouting. I was fussing. I was feuding. I was, I was angry at God. I was frustrated. I wasn't witnessing. I wasn't praying. I, I spent no time in the Word. I was powerless. And God did something to crank me up. He, he snapped me out of it. And you know what he did? He reminded me in a very powerful way that all this stuff's being written down. It's being written down. My pouting, my feuding, my fussing, my, my nonchalant way. I, I was trying to do it all with my power. I wasn't depending at all upon his power. And he showed me that. And I had to repent because I didn't like what I saw he had written down in the book. 
So I repented and I started preaching in power again and people started getting saved again. This message came out of those days that he whipped me and worked on me. Good and bad, these things are written down. I had to come to realize that. And I had to know these things are being kept because they're going to be revealed at the judgment seat. Everything I did, wood, hay, or stubble, gold, silver, precious stone, it's all being written down. And I'll tell you something. When you come to realize that, that reality alone should cause you to fear God. You see, I and you will be held accountable for everything we do for Jesus from the time we get saved till we stand before him in judgment. So let me ask you today. If Jesus were to come back before dark tonight and we found ourselves gathered somewhere in a great gathering like that and the judgment took place, when you stand before him and he's finished with you, would you turn and walk away a prince with crowns or just a pauper with a few gold coins? My wife was dying with cancer. I had my mama living with us. She was dying with cancer. I had both of them trying to take care of them, trying to work, trying to do my job trying to take care of everything that I do. I have a condition in my mouth called lacking planus. The doctors don't know what caused it. They don't know what to do for it. The only thing they can tell you is it won't kill you. But it sure can make you sick. And it's stress-driven. And I was under so much stress that my mouth had broken out in full blisters. I wasn't able to eat, wasn't able to drink. And uh, I was just getting sicker and sicker. But I kept trying to go. My associate read an article, and in the article it said that vitamin D in large doses helped like in planets. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you take vitamin D, your doctor's got you on vitamin D, you need to take it. He has, it, he has you taking it for a reason, but take it under his direction. At that time, even though I'm an educated man, I didn't have enough sense to know. I'd never, nobody ever told me vitamins could kill you. I thought you'd take all the vitamins you wanted. So I bought me some high doses of vitamin D. I started taking it, and my mouth started getting better. My wife was a little woman. She'd take two of something, and I'd take four because I'm a big man. So I started doubling up. I was trying to wipe this stuff out. And I found myself deathly sick on my back in a hospital room in Anniston, Alabama. I laid there two weeks dying. They could not find out what was wrong with me. They ran every test they knew to run. They brought in every doctor they knew to bring in. They could not diagnose what my problem was. I had discovered what my problem was because I'd been looking on the computer and I showed it to them. I had a vitamin D toxicity. I'd, I'd taken too much vitamin D. And what vitamin D does, it does not slough out of your body. And if you get enough in you, it, your body was, will uh, uh, toxify shut your kidneys down, you go in congestive heart failure, and you die. Case in point. Have you ever put rat poison out and found a rat carcass that was just a dried up, dried up hide? You know why? Vitamin D's in that rat poison. It shut his kidneys down. He dehydrated and died. It'll kill you if you take too much of it. That's why you take it under your doctor's instructions. I had taken way too much 
They came in my hospital room on a Friday. The doctor said, Mr. Nichols, we've done everything we know to do. We tried every test. We don't know anything else to do. You're dying, and we don't know what to do. We call UAB Hospital in Birmingham. They're a, they're a research hospital. They're interested in your case, so we're going to ship you over there and see if they can find something. I said, well, do I go home and get stuff and go? No, you don't pass go. You don't collect $200. There's an ambulance downstairs. You're fixing to get in it, and they're going to take you straight to the hospital. Well, they put, took me downstairs, put me in the ambulance, headed to Birmingham. My wife was in Birmingham UAB. She had had her second cancer surgery, and they'd already reported to me that they couldn't do anything, and, and it, she was only going to live a short period of time now. And she, they were bringing her home from the hospital as they were taking me to the hospital. We didn't see each other for three weeks. They took me over there and put me in a little room. I didn't see anybody else from mid-afternoon till 10 o'clock at night except for one lady who walked in and put a tray of food on a table. At 10 o'clock that night, one of the student doctors came in with his little white coat on to do the profile, asked me all those questions they ask you when you go in the hospital. And one of the questions was, Mr. Nichols, do you have any idea what's wrong with you? I said, I know exactly what's wrong with me. He laughed and he said, oh, so you're a doctor. I said, well, I know enough to know what's wrong with me. He said, what's wrong? I said, I have vitamin D toxicity. And he laughed and he wrote it down on that paper. Well, the next morning, the teaching doctor came in with his 10 little students and their 10 little white coats, and they lined up around me, and the doctor said, this man's almost dead. I just want you boys to look at him and girls. And I said, and he said, Mr. Nichols, uh, how you feel? I said, doctor, I feel rough. He picked my chart up, and he looked at it, and he saw vitamin D toxicity. He said, what's this vitamin D toxicity? He said, that's what's, I said, that's what's wrong with me. He said, you're kidding me. I said, yes, sir. I've been trying to tell him for two weeks. He said, how much vitamin D you've been taking? I said, it's over there in my bag. And one of those doctor students got that bottle out and I showed him. Here's what he did. He picked his glasses up and looked at me like that. I said, sir, you all be dead. And he said, there's a good chance you're going to die. He said, you have poisoned your system. You've got so much vitamin D in you. You have toxified your body and you shut down your kidneys and you're in congestive heart failure. And I don't know if we can reverse it in time, but there's a good chance you're going to die. And he wrote that up and they well, well. About two days after that, they, they're running all kinds of stuff. They're pumping stuff out of me, pumping stuff through me. They're, they're trying to do everything they can to get that out of my system. And, and I'm sicker than I've ever been. And I'm hurting. And I, I just, I, I'm sitting in a chair over on the side, and I want to die. I've made up my mind. My wife's going to die. My mama's going to die. There's no purpose in me hurting this bad. I'm so sick. I said, God, please just take me home. I was ready to die. And I was asking God to kill me. Take me home. Well, knock on my door. Come in. When she walked through the door, I could tell immediately from her facial features she was one of those very special individuals that God blesses some of us with through the years. She didn't have much ability, but she had enough ability that she had gotten her a job cleaning hospital rooms, and she loved to do it. It wasn't a job for her, it was her ministry. Mr. Nichols, may I clean your room? Sure, honey. So she started cleaning my room. I'm over there trying to die, and she starts singing praise courses. <laughs> it made me mad. Here I am over here trying to die. She's over singing praise courses. Mr. Nichols, can I get you a blanket? No, sugar, I'm trying to die. <laughs> Mr. Nichols, can I get you some water? No, honey, let me alone. I'm trying to die. Mr. Nichols, is there anything I can do for you? No, just, just, just let me alone. Well, 
She kept singing, kept working a little bit. She got through. She got up the bedclothes. She went out. Well, I'm back in that grave over there, and I'm asking God, God, come on, let's, let's get this over with. I'm, just, I'm tired of hurting. Come in. It was her again. But this time she came around that bed, and she came over, and she stood right in front of me. Tears started running down her cheeks. And she says, Mr. Nichols, I just want to thank you. I said, Sugar, what are you thanking me for? I was rude to you. I'm, I'm so sick. I really want to die. And I was rude to you. Why, why are you thanking me? Oh, Mr. Nichols, I just want to thank you for the privilege and the honor it's been mine today to clean up your room for you and to make your bed. And then she looked at me and she said, Mr. Nichols, I love you. And Jesus does too. And she turned and walked out of my room. Now the only way I can explain to you about what happened next was, it was kind of like God reached down from heaven and pulled the roof back on UAB Hospital in Birmingham and stuck his hand through the ceiling of my room and got me by the nap of the neck and held me up like that and he looked at me and said, did you see it? Did you see that? Yes, Lord. Did you see her? Was she the prettiest girl you've ever No, Lord. The richest? No. The smartest? No. The happiest? Maybe. He said, she's happy because she found out what I gifted her with and she uses it every day to serve me and to minister to others like you. Now I called you. I educated you. I prepared you. I've put you in a place of service. Now get up and go to work. And I got up and I went back to work. Now here's what I know about that. I looked for that girl, never did find her. Nobody there knew about her. You can draw your conclusions about what that was, just like I do. But if she is real, here's what I know. One day out yonder somewhere, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, I can't tell you when. Nobody but God himself knows, but Jesus is going to come back. And we're going to be gathered somewhere in a massive crowd of people. And Jesus is going to lean down. He's going to turn that page in that book and he's going to call a name. And that majestic being is going to swoop down. He's going to pick that old girl up. And he's going to set her down there in front of Jesus. And Jesus is going to speak good words to her. And then he's going to stand up and he's going to look at that crowd and say, All you people out there! who were touched by this girl's life, stand up and cheer. I don't know if anybody else will, but I know one fat preacher is going to stand up and say, Yes! Yes, Lord! Yes! When I was at my lowest, you sent her by to pick me up. Oh, folks, listen. I'm a pretty decent preacher. I do evangelism. 
But here's what I know. Every time I preach in a church service and somebody gets saved, every time I preach in a church service and somebody recommits their life, every time I minister in Jesus' name and does something, every time something I do because of my calling and of my faith, that old girl gets a check by her name. She might not have much down here, but I guarantee you when she gets up there, she's going to be rich. One day, every man's work will be tried by fire. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. If you're in this room, you're saved, you're going to stand there. You still got time. You can stand before Jesus and have something to offer, but it's up to you. I can't do your work. You can't do my work. Brother Jackie can't do your work. Nobody else can do it but you. But there's work to be done by everyone. Now there's another concern I have as I close. There's 10 or 12 people in this room or listening to me somewhere else that if you're honest, and Jesus were to come back in the next 15 minutes in the state you're in, you'd miss the boat because you're not saved. Here's what I know about that. If you heard this message this morning, you're lost. You're here to get saved. That's why I preached it. I didn't want to preach this message. I was going to preach something else. Jesus said, you're preaching this message. If you want to stand before the judgment seat, not the great white throne judgment, you need to get saved. That's the most important thing you can do. There's a, a, a nice man, and I'm sure he's a nice man, but he got saved this morning. He was going to hell, but now he's going to heaven. If you're sitting here today and you're hell bound, all you got to do is ask Jesus to save you, and you can go to heaven. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. And I wouldn't embarrass you. I won't call you out. I won't come to you. I just want to pray for you. If you're in this room, on this floor, in the balcony, listening somewhere else, and you're lost, and you know you need to be saved, and you want to be saved this morning, you want to get it right, all I want to do at this point is pray for you. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anywhere in the room, hold it up high so I see you. Thank you, thank you. Let me look in the balcony. I can't see much for the lights. Any, any hands in the thank you? Any others? Anywhere else? Hold it up high. All right, just put it right back down. Well, praise the Lord. Several people raise their hands. They want to get saved. Here's how you do that. Yes, Jesus to save you. Well, how do I do that? You pray a prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer with you. And as I pray it, if you really want to be saved this morning, Silently, right where you are, you pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I know you died for me. And I don't want to go to hell. And I'm lost. So dear Jesus, right now, I want to tell you, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of them. And ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and save my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And Jesus, I want to give you my life from this day forward. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, all over the room this morning, 
as best you know how. If you honestly just prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus to save you, this time I want you to raise your hand and look at me. If you prayed that, did you pray that prayer? Thank you. Somebody else? Let me look. I want to see. Hold it up high so I can know. Did you pray that prayer? Thank you. Somebody else? Did you pray that prayer, sir? Thank you. Anybody else? You just take it right back down once I see it. Anybody else? All over the room. Did you pray that prayer, ma'am? Thank you. Okay. I saw four hands go up. Now the four hands that went up and anybody else that prayed that prayer didn't raise your hand, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Here's what I want you to do. You just made the greatest decision you could ever make. God in heaven and the angels are rejoicing. But Jesus said, you'll confess me before men if you love me. Here's what I want us to do. Just a minute, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing a song of invitation. There are going to be some men down here at the front of the church. And if you raised your hand, looked at me, and said you prayed that prayer, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to confess Jesus this morning. I want you to step out. As soon as we stand to our feet, come down here and take the hand of one of these men and tell them you prayed that prayer. And you know what? Listen to me, church. The church, this church, and me, and God, and angels in heaven are going to rejoice. Aren't we, church? Hear me, church? Aren't we going to rejoice over the fact that they came today to tell the world they got saved? So I'm counting on every one of you when we stand at our feet to come down here and come quickly. The altar's open for the believer who heard this message and knows you've been sitting down on the Lord. And you need to get active. You need to commit yourself so that you have something to offer when you stand before Christ. I'm asking you to come to the altar, not to me, not to man, but to God, and commit yourself to it. Father, this is your time. Holy Spirit, we ask you to penetrate hearts during the invitation time. For these that raise their hands and said they got saved, I pray you give them courage and strength to step out boldly and come forward, and we can celebrate with them. For those that need to come recommit their lives to you, Lord, so they can have something to offer when they get there, I pray that they'll come quickly. And any other decisions, maybe somebody needs to join this good church. Whatever it is, Father, I pray in these next moments things will happen here that only heaven can explain. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet. Y'all come on. If you raised your hand, you come on right now. Praise the Lord.